You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Take your Bible, if you will, and find the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. We've been walking through the John's Gospel, and I just had so much going on in my little heart and head this morning, and there's so much in that text this morning, I knew I would not be able to to completely finish that, and so I want to finish up tonight some of the things that we were talking about. I'm going to set the, the, the tone a little bit. Um, years, I grew up in a church, a good church. Um, um, I didn't know a whole lot of anything other than I, was, I knew I'd given my life to Christ, and I loved my pastor, and I loved my church. Uh, he was more of a, a topical preacher. And uh, he, would, he would preach uh, different texts and different verses uh, as uh, a pastor. Uh, he did a, a faithful job, I would say, in doing so. Uh, teach topical, different things around. Uh, the advantage, I guess you could say, on that as a pastor is you're able to deal with subject matter that you think needs to be dealt with. One of the disadvantages of, the, of that was it... it I didn't have an opportunity to sit up under Scripture in a way that it was written. Meaning that as you look at John's Gospel and you you go through a topical study of something and you you take passages of Scripture that might be helpful to teach you something that is beneficial to do that. But I kind of grew up in a setting to where I wasn't really looking at like John's Gospel, John chapter 1 all the way through. And so I, I got to seminary and college in our, our Southern Baptist College in Graceful, and, and uh, I took a class, evangelism. And we were going through the class, and, and uh, I had gone through evangelism workshops and these types of things. And one of the, the books that they asked us to read was by J.I. Packer, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. I had never thought about those two things, sitting in a local church on any given Sunday. And so I thought, this is going to be great, evangelism and sovereignty of God. And as I read that, I realized, I didn't realize that people were even considering there was a difference, that that we do evangelism. So the, the book was Human Responsibility and God's Sovereignty. I'm going to tell you, it threw me for a loop. Has it never thrown you for a loop? If you've never looked at it, it's never thrown you for a loop. But when you start looking at it, it throws you for a loop. And we don't know what to do with it. Now, if I would have, I'm not blaming my church, if I would have grown up and and like I'm doing here and walked through John, and when the pastor got to where 
where we're at now, I would have had to have thought about it before. I had never thought about it. That you, you, just, you, you put your faith in Christ. I believe in God. I believe in the Spirit. And I believe in things. But I'm going to tell you, Sharon can testify to this, it threw me for a loop because I, I am not a gray area guy. I try to be a real here or there guy. And so uh, the, the other thing that threw me for a loop, this has nothing to do with the sermon, the other thing that threw me for a loop in college that like drove me crazy was when somebody told me that the only Bible that was ever inspired was the King James Version. And they gave me a book written by a guy that believed that, and it threw me for a loop. I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I want to be faithful to them. Long story, don't even go there. I wrestled with that. I'm preparing for college, and I'm pastoring a church, and I have never thought through election. I'd never heard a sermon in church on election and predestination. I had never heard a sermon on what the Spirit does to bring about conversion. How do we respond to that? I had never heard that. And so I just, my mind, it was like taking a sip of water out of a fire hydrant. And so I, I can just remember saying, and it was an evangelism class, and I remember sitting there thinking, and I've said this before, but it was in that evangelism class. Lord, if you ever give me a captive audience as a pastor, I want to be faithful teaching all of the word. Now, to me, that has been through books of the Bible. You know, when you, when you get to something in Scripture, you preach it as the absolute word of God. You know, when you, when you get to, as you move along, you, you preach it as the absolute word of God. And so here's one of these passages that just kind of rocked my little Baptist world because I had never been, I never had to consider it. And so go back, if you will, to, to John chapter 6, verse 35, and let's, let's consider this together. Again, if you've never really thought about it, or you're, you may have thought about it, and you're thinking through it, a great book to read is by J.I. Packard, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, how they fit together wonderfully, that we share our faith in a way that we beg and plead for people to come to Christ, but at the same time, we know that there's a, a big, glorious God working on the other side, bringing about His perfect will. We make the tension there's no tension there. Great book. It's a paperback book. And not, not that you wouldn't read it, but it's a short read. It's a good read. I believe it's one of those books that every Christian ought to read. J.I. Packard, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Verse 35 of John 6, we read this morning. John, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever, isn't that a great word right there? Whoever. Let me tell you what the secret meaning of whoever is. Do you know what that secret meaning is? What do you think the secret hidden meaning of whoever is? Whoever. Boy, wasn't that tough. Whoever calls, comes to me, shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never hurt. Whoever comes to Jesus Christ 
and acknowledges that he is Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is revealed in Scripture as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In other words, when we come to Christ on Christ's terms, see, that was the problem with the Pharisees. They were coming to Christ on their terms. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain to make a, an image? What, what happened when they had come down, he came down off the mountain? They had made an image in what they thought God would be. That's what we do today. We create an image of what we think God is in our mind. We've created our own image of God. I was kind of alluding to that earlier where, yes, God is a loving, wonderful Lord, but it's like we turn God into a teddy bear, the care bear God. Yes, but that is just part of who God is. So the danger is, is we make Jesus into who we want Jesus to be. That's one of the things that gets preachers like Joel Osteen. People that, and, I, and I'm careful with that. I've known people say, man, Joel Osteen really encouraged me. Yes, he can. I don't know if I'd ever want him to teach a systematic theology class at my church. And the idea is, yes, get out of the bed and believe in yourself. But that's, there's more to it. And so... When people say, well, why do preachers get on to people like the Joel Osteens of the world and that? I think one thing, and I'm going to get off my little soapbox, I think sometimes preachers need to quit worrying about what everybody else is doing and worry about what they're doing. So those that, I'm on social media. If you ever watch me on social media, I don't ever talk about what other people are doing. I don't talk about, worry about, well, this, they said this, and they, I mean, I look at it this way. I'm just going to proclaim what I think we need to be doing. And what I, I don't have time to follow what the Joel Osteen's of the world are doing. But what has gotten Joel Osteen, and I think what he does wrong, he paints a part of a picture of God of like what he thinks God is. That the problem is we just need to believe more in ourselves and have a happy day and everything works out. That's part of it, but that's not a whole picture. That's what got the nation of Israel in trouble. We create an image of what we think God should be, so we carry that over today. If we create a picture of God or the gospel or the church in anything that is contrary to Scripture, we are creating an image of God of what we think is right. That's a scary place to be. That's why it's so important that we take God's word at his word and we don't add to it and we don't subtract from it and we say in a topic like we're talking about tonight, whoever comes to Christ shall never hunger and thirst again. That's great news. But verse 37, Jesus is solidifying and teaching why this is so possible. All that the Father gives me that's that's a phrase in John now you could sit there and say and I've had people tell me this never preach those verses true story your people can't handle that you know what I always said well you don't have the people I have what we're going to do just cut something out of the Bible have you ever read Romans 9 here's your homework I'm going to put you in a bad spot this week you go home tonight. Here's your homework. I'm telling you, you're going to call me up and go, Pastor, my world has been rocked. Go home tonight and read Romans 9. Call me in the morning. I'll try to help you through it. You're going to see an aspect of God and salvation you've never thought about before. Now, I'm, not try, I'm just saying, we, we have to take a look at all of Scripture. Now, I will tell somebody else, but then right after you chew on Romans 9 for a while, flip back to John 3, 16, and you'll feel a lot better. But we can't just take Scripture and do what we want to with it. 
We understand right here that in Romans, in, in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me, that God is doing something. These, and and this is, Jesus is saying this, by the way, that Jesus is saying all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And Jesus is saying me and the Father are real involved in what's going on here. There's not anything taking place outside of the activity of the Trinity. Let me rereading. Will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You want to talk about having some great assurance? Could you imagine this? Jesus, I want to come to you. Who are you? I'm John Beck. John, I don't want you. But I came to you. I don't care, I don't want you. Next, how, do, how sad would that be? Jesus says, all that the Father gives me, well, look at that, and comes to me. What, what boldness now do we have to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can look someone in the head and the heart and say, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? No. You know that if you repent of your sins right now and you give your life and heart to Jesus Christ, do you know by the authority of God's word if you will come to him and believe who he is, he will never cast you out? That's, that'll make us all shout. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, should I should lose nothing. I can't walk out of the house more than three or four days in a row without losing my key. Isn't that something? I wasn't going to say anything. You, brought, you convicted yourself and you raised your hand. Joy's been looking for her keys for a week. They were by the organ. I'm telling you, it's always them organ players you've got to keep your eye on. Where's she at? I mean, we, I, I, try, I mean, it's hard. I mean, Jesus Christ, something is, he was not going to lose us. You're sitting there and you're, and you're and it, wherever you are in life. And I've understood this, that when I'm in this phase of my life, I can't wait to get to the next phase. Because I always think that once I get out of this phase, when I get to this phase, it's all going to be figured out. Isn't that not true? So I get from this phase to this phase, and I can't wait to get to that phase, and I can't wait to get to that phase. And every phase I get to in life, I realize it's still life. And I still have things going on outside my control. And I say this jokingly, but I'm, not, I'm being serious. You know, I think once my kids can feed themselves, life's going to be so much better. Now I'm just paying more to feed them. You know, and that's, that's, I mean, that's like when I go to eat with my in-laws. They never let me buy a meal. That just happens. I'm not being silly. Oh, when I retire, it's going to be so much. Oh, when I retire, it's a piece of cake. Nick, is it a piece of cake? It is. It's better. You just don't have to get up so early. But you still have worry about going to the doctor. You still have bills. You still have the stuff of life that you have to deal with. You never get to a point in life where you just don't need Jesus Christ to know that I have come to do the will of my Father and everything's going to work out because I'm never going to cast you out and I'm never going to lose you. That's a great word for us. For this is the will of the God, of the will of the Father, verse 40, that everyone, 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 everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up. 
You see that you see even here we could call tension. It's not tension. The Father gives. And we look. The Spirit convicts. God gives. God draws. We look. We come. And we believe. Grace is God's favor. You know, I've heard this said before. It's not true. I've heard it said many times in many different pulpits. A dead man can only do one thing. Believe in Jesus. A dead man can do nothing. If a dead man can call on the name of Jesus and still be dead, he died on that cross for nothing. If a dead man can do anything, then he can do all things. Now, some people don't like that, and I'm not pushing a a, a theological agenda. I'm preaching the word. When I realized that I was dead, because here's what I would have thought. I'm dead, but I'm not that bad. I understand for all I've seen and fall short of the glory of God. I heard that my whole life, but I never understood. I never, nobody ever walked me through Romans. And so to me, a dead man, uh, for all have sinned, just meant we're all bad people. And, and Jesus died for bad people, but we're not that bad. And so in and of ourselves, we can just kind of come to Christ because we're bad, but we're not that bad. No, biblically speaking, we are dead. Dead is dead. We can't do anything. And so for some reason, that bothers us so bad. And I remember sitting and just weeping and agonizing through all of this and what does that mean to my heart it dawned on me if I can do anything on my own then Jesus didn't need to come and do what he did in, in an essence I don't understand it but because Jesus loved me that much I can be saved why me is what I say what have I done to deserve my salvation and nothing but that that's love when we think about the love that Christ, for God so loved the world that John was dead in his trespasses and sin that he sent his son and he gave me to Jesus. He said, Jesus, here. That's incredible to think about. You want to talk about coming to an understanding of what grace and faith is. Ephesians, oh my goodness, that, that he gave he literally gave me to Jesus Christ from the, as Paul would say, before I was born in the womb. John the Baptist in the womb. Now, I can't wrap my arms around that, but that's what Scripture says. And he says that I, I do this because this is the will of the Father. Well, let me, let me move along. What time is it? Turn, if you will, to Matthew 11. And we need to remember the context. The context of what is going on here is they have said, we don't believe that. And Jesus is saying, this is why you can believe it. You can believe that I am the bread of life and that if you come to me, you will never hunger and never thirst. Here's why Jesus is saying, you, you can believe you're, I'm the bread of life and that you will never hunger and never thirst if you come to me because the Father gave you to me. And so as I come to Christ, 
I'm coming to Christ and I know that, that God is the God that is behind it. And so what God has started, God is going to finish. And so I can trust in God's sovereign care and his will over my life because this is a God thing, not a John thing. Here's a, a great, look at uh, Matthew 11, verse 25. I'm going to read this in two contexts, okay? Just play along with me. I'm going to read this and do it in, in, here's two sermons within a sermon. Okay, I usually have about ten sermons going on in a sermon. Sermon 1. At that time, this is Matthew eleven twenty-five. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. He had just talked about the, the, the cities, the unrepented cities. He just talked about John the Baptist coming and that how great he was and the unrepentant cities. And I think if you think about it, they, they cut the head off of John the Baptist. He's the greatest man that ever lived. And Jesus is saying, and you did not recognize him as the forerunner of me in the gospel. And you literally just beheaded him. Woe unto you, you unrepentant cities. Boy, he is laying into them because of what they've done. And he starts right here. It's a great word. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. God has hidden. You know, they would not have done that. Could, could God have said, open your eyes and see John the Baptist for who he is? Yes. Why didn't he? Don't know. Why did he open up the eyes of the disciples? I don't know. Why didn't he open up Judas's mind? I don't know. Well, I do know it's just his plan. And so Jesus is thanking the Lord that, that he has revealed who he is to some, but he understood that some is just hidden. You, Father, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Stop there. Don't read anymore. Boy, that's a big God, isn't it? So we just draw a line right there. There's a God in heaven that's got a plan. He's, he's, you know, these words that kind of make us uncomfortable. He's choosing. He's revealing. Some things are hidden. How can Jesus Christ stand before the Pharisees and they not see Jesus Christ? They were hidden. How can the man, uh, and I don't remember what chapter in John, how can the man come to Jesus and say, hey, heal my daughter because I know you can do that. How did he see it and not others see it? All I can say is God has hidden things and God has revealed things. He didn't want me to be involved with that process. I'll just leave that to him. He's God. So draw a line right there. God's doing something in heaven we don't understand. He's, he's revealing and he's not revealing. He's, he's doing things we have no control over. That's God. That, that could be a sermon on God's sovereignty and God is a big God and just leave things to God and we'll move on. Stop there. Okay, sermon two. Next verse. Try to block out sermon one. I know it was a great sermon. But try to block it out. Come to me. Who's saying this? Jesus is. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sermon 2. Come to Jesus. Take his yoke upon you. His burden is light. Sermon 1. God reveals things to certain people and doesn't reveal things to other people. Sermon 2. Come to Christ. You are labored and heavy laden. They're right beside each other. We, we serve a God that is working behind the scenes doing great things for his glory and honor and for redemptive history that we'll never understand. But at the same time, we come to Christ. See that going on there? It's not one or the other. We've made it one or the other. Our world has made it one or the other. In, in some circles, that you almost have to decide which one. You know what I always tell people? Both. I think we need to have strong theological convictions about who God is. God needs to be a, I believe God is a great God. I believe, and I'm preaching it here tonight, that there, God has got to open up your heart and your mind to the understanding of the things we're saying. A lost man won't get this, and a lost man won't care. So how do you think I feel when people come up to me and say, well, I just don't read and study the Bible. I don't believe I... That him who have ears to hear, let him hear. How about this? Lord God, open up the mind and the hearts of people as I share with them, come to the Savior. See, we can't have one or the other. Now go back to John 6. I, I came across that. I thought it was kind of nifty. You almost can't read come to Christ until you read the other two verses. You can't read the first two verses without reading the second two verses. See, that's where good Bible study comes into play. If you just take a verse here, again, Scripture does not contradict itself. From Genesis to Revelation, it does not contradict itself. For God so loved the world, yes. God desires all men to be saved, yes. God draws, God gives before the foundation of the world, yes. Which one, pastor? Yes. God desires all men to be saved. But we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And the Spirit must come. Here's the thing about it. Must come and open up the eyes of our understanding as the gospel is proclaimed. And God desires all men to be saved. Yes, yes, yes. But so many people want to say one or the other. My God desires all people to be saved. Well, then why isn't everybody saved? You ever thought about that? Here we go. We're starting it already. You'll go home at night going, oh, my gosh. If God desires all men to be saved and God has done everything he has done to save them and he's waiting on them to just to be saved, then we're saying God can't save everybody or everybody will be saved. Told you. They'll get you. We're not robots. 
We didn't come out of an assembly line in heaven. Heaven side, hell side. Hell, 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 heaven, 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 hell. No. Well, then what then? I don't know. God gives, God calls, God draws. As the gospel is proclaimed, as the spirit moves, and then we come and we respond and we pray and we preach and we plead for people to come to know Christ. Read another verse, two, two verses. Look at John 16. As the Father gives, so we, we see here the Father is given, and what the Father gives, Jesus will never lose. John 16. As he's making his way literally from the upper room to the cross. I always say that because we miss it. There's another great example. If we just understand the Bible, if we would just read the Bible, there are so many tools available. I mean, do you realize with modern technology, I can YouTube and just about fix anything? Sharon always gets very nervous when I come walking through the house with the toolbox and the laptop. Honey, what are you doing? Working on the hot tub, honey. You've never worked on a hot tub before, have you? No, but I YouTubed it. We're good to go. Do you know I learned how to lobster fish? Is it fishing? What do you call it? Robert, is it lobster fishing, lobster harvesting, whatever, lobstering? I swam in my pool for 10 minutes, and I watched a YouTube video for 7 minutes and 10 seconds. I came out of there, had my laptop out of the pool, came out, it was having a snorkel on my flipper, and I still shared, I am good to go. She goes, what do you mean you're good to go? 7 minutes on YouTube, I know how to lobster. See? But yet, we live in the same day of technology, and we are biblical illiterate. And I'm going to tell you right now, as your pastor, I love you. You're going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for that. I look at it from the same way every day for me. I have got a, I'm so old, I still have filing cabinets. I have a filing cabinet of every sermon that I've preached probably since 1996. I have probably five or six years of sermon notes on a a hard drive. Do you know what I do every Sunday when when I, you know what I'll begin to do tonight before I preach next Sunday? I will study this word like I've never walked through that passage before. I am not going to stand before the Lord and be a lazy preparer of the word of God. And I think that's part of the problem that we run into in our world theologically. We just don't study the Word. We don't, we don't take time to read the Word. Listen, here's a great, uh, a great verse to encourage us about the, 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 the greatness of God working in salvation. We need to look at this in a positive thing as we look at this text. I want God to work before I preach the gospel. I don't want someone to make a decision for John. I want them to make a decision for Jesus. Have you ever been? John, I see you nodding your head. I always think about some of his, one of his stories on the mission field. When he's giving out glasses 
and the person comes up, I don't remember the details, when the person comes up and has the craziest prescription known to anyone and they know they don't have a pair of glasses in their little glass box on the mission field and the person comes up and needs this weird crazy prescription and lo and behold, guess what's in the bottom of the box? A prescription they did not take with them on that trip. Well, that's just coincidental. It's not coincidental that God can do things like that. God can do great things. And so when I preach the gospel, I plead for God to be working before I get there. Notice what John 16 says, verse 8. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict. Who does the convicting? The Spirit of God through the Word of God. The Spirit of God as I preach the Word. The Spirit of God as I share the Word. Concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth does come though, then you'll get it. I just That's my words. You can't bear it because the Spirit has not come. Part of the role of the Spirit is the Father gives us to the Son. He gives the Spirit to convict us and to show us our need for the Savior as the Word is preached. Father gives them to the Son. Verse 38 of John 6, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So yes, let's rejoice that we have a sovereign God that has given us to the Son so that we might be saved and that we will be kept and we will be secure for all eternity because this Son, in verse 38, the Lord Jesus Christ has come down for heaven not to do His own will but the will of Him who sent me. Let me remind you in Scripture exactly what I believe Christ is saying here. Christ in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, Jesus says, this is the will that I come and to seek and to save that which is lost. I came to do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? For him to seek and to save that which was lost. Think about when you got saved. What happened to you? Were you, were you, you were sitting there just, you know, whatever you were doing. This morning, Justin comes and he said, hey, you know, Pastor, he's been locked in all morning. I knew God was doing something. I knew the Spirit was doing something. And the word is proclaimed and the spirit takes the word of God. That, you know, we, I think about it like a little Justin. He set up under the word of God for many, many, many years. And the spirit was working on his heart. And the spirit of God said, today is the day of salvation. Go. Go to Jesus. That's why we pray for the spirit to rain down on this place. If we think about a church that's not biblically growing and seeing the fruits of the spirit manifesting itself in it we pray for our hearts we pray for the heart of the church because the spirit is not moving against us we're not allowing the spirit to move amongst us because there's sin in the camp we believe all of these things lord convict us lord guide us lord go before us mark 10 35 and following. He comes to seek and to save that which was lost. Mark 10, 35 and following. 
For the Son of Man come not to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ came to do the will of the Father, to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ, verse 38, I've come not to do my will, but his will, to give my life as a ransom, to pay the debt for many. That's in Jesus Christ. And then John 10, 7, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come to give them life and give them life more abundantly. So the Father is giving to the Son through the conviction of the Spirit, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord to be, to be saved, to be ransomed, so that we may have life for all eternity. And this is the will of him who sent me, verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on that last day from beginning to end, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification. For this is the will of my Father to anyone who looks on the Son and believe. We come, we look, we believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. That's a good word. Thank you, Father, for working before I even get there. Thank you, Father, for sending the Spirit. Thank you, God, for sending the Son. Thank you, God, for giving us the Word. Thank you, God, for giving us preachers and evangelists and missionaries that share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that whosoever will come can look and believe and be saved. Hallelujah. That's a good word. But we take so many passages like that and create this theological just, he is God. He is a big, awesome, sovereign God that is in control of every minute molecule of this world. And we don't have time to get there tonight. I really believe with all of my heart that God does know everything. I tell you the story of how I believe that. I've said this a hundred times. You're going to get, you know, some of you, as you get older, you'll forget these stories. But I just opened myself up. The life of John can be a scary thing to be part of. God works through life. The, as, you, as you take the word and you study the word, you know, wrestling as a college student, the sovereignty of God, what does this mean? Does God not love the world? What a, ah, wrestling with the sovereignty of God and yet understanding that we make real meaningful choices. I believe that. We are humanly responsible for what we do. We know that God is doing the saving from eternity past, but we also know we beg and plead for people to come to Christ. And I was wrestling with that, and I had gone to a children's hospital where one of our church members' child was close to death. And I was sitting on an elevator, and, a, and a, a small child, maybe one or two, came in the elevator with a mask on, and her hair was gone, and the mother looked at me and said she has cancer. I had two choices in my mind. He is either sovereign over everything or nothing. So here's where I'm going with this. And I walk out of that elevator with that little girl, and the little girl of our church member was literally dying on the operating table. And they told the mother to get out of there. And they said, Pastor, can you come and hold her down while we put this shunt in? At that moment, I realized, God, you are in control of everything. 
or you're in control of nothing. Because if you're not a God in control of everything, I have no hope in this situation. It's funny. I said something about a cheeseburger in this midst of thing. Now, crazy me. This girl has survived, done well and healthy, and she Facebooked me about a year ago and said, you remember that night I almost died and you said something about a cheeseburger? If I get better, I'll go take and get a Happy Meal. <laughs> that does sound like me, I guess. It was at that moment, and I remember this like yesterday, it, when I left that hospital under that duress and that crisis as a pastor, that I said, God, you are sovereign over everything. Because if you're not, I have no hope. I cannot shepherd as a pastor of your church if I don't believe you're in control of everything. It can be a little sense that makes people a little nervous for whatever reason. Your souls are in the hand of a loving God. Justin's soul this morning was in the hand of a heavenly father. Not me. And so I preach the gospel knowing spirit change the hearts of your people. But at the same time, I believe with all of my heart, everyone needs to come to faith in Christ. Isn't that a great balance, a great place to be? When Jesus says, hey, you don't believe me, but that's all right. Because my Father gives those that he has opened their eyes and they believe and they will come and they will never hunger and they will never thirst again. And then probably one of the most greatest evangelistic books that we have is John's Gospel. And it is so full of the sovereignty of God. As you read scripture, notice that. Thank you, God, for being awesome and all-knowing and all-powerful and ever-present. But thank you, Lord, that we can encourage people to come to you. Thank you, Lord, that I do make meaningful decisions that have an impact. And my, my choices are real choices. And I stand in judgment for those choices. But he is sovereign. And it's not that he wins. He's already won. I don't think he knows the future because he can read people's minds and see the future. I think he is in control of the future. There's a big difference with that. He doesn't know what I'm going to do, so determines it. He knows what I'm going to do because he is God. Now we can rest in the gospel. I tell people this. I'll close with this. I don't understand it. I'm saved. I don't know why I was born in America. When I was born with the parents I have. I don't know why I wasn't born in some village, in some Nile River, Amazon jungle. And not be exposed to the gospel. What I'm going to tell you. When you start thinking about your salvation and God's plan with it. That's when you understand what grace is. When you weep over grace and you understand the gift of grace and God's favor and his love and sending your son, you begin to appreciate the God that saved you a little bit more. It doesn't point toward arrogance. You notice the disciples, once they received the spirit and they followed Christ, humble, meek, obedient, willing to die for it so that other people could hear about it. 
He is a loving big God. And he loves us. And he sent his son. And he says that if you come, you will never hunger and thirst again. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, as we close tonight and we sing about speaking to our hearts. Speak to our hearts. Lord, for those that are believers, as we walk through John, Lord, what a great promise of your mercy and grace and love for us. As we saw in Matthew, Lord, that you, you open and reveal and close and don't reveal in a way that is, we'll never understand. But then in the next breath, there's a plea from Jesus himself, come unto me. Lord, let us be a church that loves the richness of theology and the word. But that it drives us to be people that love one another and love to share the gospel. And that we beg and literally, Lord, in, in an evangelistic way, we plead, come to the master. I thank you for your work ahead of me as I preach the word. Lord, allow us to understand that, embrace that tonight. Speak to our hearts as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we sing, if you need to make a, a decision tonight for Christ, you may be here tonight and you just want to publicly, as Justin said, I, I'd let you in on a little pastoral secret. When somebody walks an aisle, they don't get saved right here. They get saved the moment that they were sitting and they open up their hearts in repentance and faith. Well, I think a lot of people get saved sitting in their bedroom. My brother, tell you right now, I got saved sitting in my bedroom as a small child reading some evangelistic material through children's evangelism ministry. Yes, it was years later before he professed that at a church and followed through with baptism. Now maybe you're here and you, you're wrestling with your assurance of salvation and you know that you just you need to know you don't want to walk out of here tonight not knowing that you're not a born-again believer of Jesus Christ. I'll stay with you as long as I need to and show you in God's Word that you can know that you're saved. But I think as a church we need to be excited about God's rule in our life and the mandate to believe the gospel and go share it like we believe there's a God that loves us and has sent his spirit to convict the world before us as they hear the good news of his son that he has sent. If you need to make a decision tonight, you come as we speak. As we sing, speak to my heart, O oh Lord. Let's sing.